And I'm Kit Wisdom. And you can follow us on social media as well, Real Clinicians, Real Chats. Uh, please follow us. We have uh, very little on their real content. Um, we need friends. <laughs> I'm uh, Alex Murray. I'm a uh, podiatrist uh, based in Canberra. I work in predominantly sports podiatry uh and rehabilitation. Uh, I'm also an educator and mentor uh, with Podiatry Systems. And I am Kit Wisdom. I'm a physio based out of Melbourne with a master's in wellbeing science um, and I'm currently studying a body-centered psychotherapy. I work in three different domains, so one-on-one with clients, uh, one-on-one with other health professionals and within small healthcare teams where I support the leaders, the practitioners and, and do some group work. So as our, this is our first podcast, we really should explain to people uh, what we're doing here, what we want to do with this podcast, what we want to achieve. Yes, I think that's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> so Kit, why don't you tell everyone like what what we're we're trying to do here with this podcast? Well, we're trying to have some conversations that are real, and in a sense where we actually embrace the trickiness that we experience as clinicians, and actually create a space where we can face challenges together. So I think you know that's our first and foremost. Um, want for this space is to be able to um, really bring some some real discussions that are meaningful and can help people understand our journeys around um, being a, a health professional, but also give them some hope through the messiness and the trickiness by listening into our conversations. Mm. Yeah, because I think when we came up with this idea of the podcast was about probably three or four meetings in where we were sort of talking about a completely different sort of project we were thinking about starting and working on, but sort of realized we were having these great conversations around, you know, uncertainty of clinical practice. And Mm. it's kind of like, well, maybe we should start recording these. (laughs) Maybe these might be helpful for other people. Yeah. And I think, I think even in that moment when you're having a conversation with someone and you realize that you're learning in that moment because you're being um, kind of challenged but in a really healthy way and starting to see, oh, I didn't think about it that way or, oh, that's really interesting, that makes me think about and that sense of growing and learning through conversation. Um, So I think, you know, when we were starting to, to have that experience with each other, there was a sense of how could we help other people by listening in onto this or, or just being part of the conversation and then even being able to bring up questions with us or, you know, really seeing it as a, as a, a healthy learning space for us all. Because mm. I think there's, when I think about my, my sort of journey, it was, I've been out now for eight, nine years and this is sort of the first experience that I've had with talking with someone and learning someone completely different background and having some backwards and forwards and challenging each other in this way. And so in a very sort of real, real sort of open, honest, uh, really radically honest in some cases way. And so it's, it can be quite rare to have people that, that can have these chats. So we're hoping by sharing this, uh, we can actually not only model types of chats that we think more people should have, but I guess as well, giving people access to conversations that they might not have access to where they are based on, it might be geography, it might, might be based on the profession, it might be based on many different factors. I guess we, we keep sort of talking about modelling 
So <laughs> I, I guess I wouldn't use the word role model. Yeah, I think that's kind of a weird sort of term to put on yourself. <laughs> but like if we're if we're sort of modeling discussions and modeling what you know what we think um healthcare would benefit from with these sort of discussions rather than sort of being figureheads like a lot of other um podcasts which it's not about saying that that's bad but it's just about saying well i guess we're not trying to be incredible sort of tomes of knowledge yeah, and I think also looking at the landscape of podcasts that we have, this we have this incredible wealth of people who are specialising and who can deliver us information that's so valuable. But I suppose like we're trying to offer a space that is different and maybe fills the gaps around, well, what do we do with this information and and how can we use it in in our clinical care and, you know, maybe provide some some frameworks or some pathways for people, not telling them what to do, but be able to give them maybe a sense of um, of, of competence or confidence or, or willingness to try something they haven't tried before um, in a way that steps into that sort of a growth mindset where we, we can do trickier things and it, it might be a, a bit about making a mistake or, or reflecting on what we could have done better, but also acknowledging that, trying to be um, a clinician that grows in lots of different ways is actually a really valuable clinician to, you know, to aspire to. Hmm. I think that what, what, what sort of I thought about there is it's really, what we're talking about is implementation. You know, if we, one of we, your favourite words, Alex. <laughs> we're not going to compete with like Jill Cook and Pete Maliaris. You know, we're not going to be like, wow, we know so much about tendons. No, um, no, no, no. It's just not what's going to happen, but... It's interesting because we both work in, in a space where it is about implementation. Like it is about, there's all this amazing stuff out there. Like you can sit on Google, you can find a podcast and get access to some of the leading researchers generally for free for the cost of, you know, mm. what it's for you to play uh, it on an internet connection. Uh, but yeah, it's how do we actually take that information, put it in our in, in our actual clinic? How do mm. we then with that information actually then reflect and say, did it work? Did it not work for our patients? I think there's a lot of assumption that, you know, someone tells us something and it should just work. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly like I, on the package. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think, um, I think as well to acknowledge that we live in a technological world, there's so much noise out there. And like we said, whilst that's really, um, you know, there's lots of information that we can have access to. Um, I think the real skill that we're going to have to to nurture and nourish and really work on is is what we do with that and how we how we implement it or how we try it on. Um, so hopefully, yeah, again, this space can be a place where we can we can talk about our stuff ups, or we can talk about our our things that did go well and learn from both. But create a space where there's no necessarily like right or wrong or this is how you do it, this is not how you do it, but um, kind of walking alongside people as we journey in this space hmm. i think about trying to help people with stuckness mm -hmm. so and i think a lot of that comes from exactly that that point you're talking about as not being right or wrong it's sort of thinking about things as contextual like something that can be right in one context in with one right right person patient or a patient population can be completely not wrong but like inadequate or uh, completely inappropriate like, mm. I, like I think about, you know, the, you know, think about Forstex, for example, you know, Vold is a great company with, um, they've sponsored a, a workshop I've, I've taught. So little plug. Um, I was going to say, it's a bit there. early. But <laughs> you think about times where I think, you know, uh, like it's, it's, they're a great company and great technology, but I can think of so many times where it'd be like, you know, getting someone on a, on a, on these sort of platforms that measure force just isn't appropriate isn't super helpful, mm. you know, and, you know, we think about, you know, getting an MRI for someone is the exact same thing. We've got lots of info out there saying, do get an MRI or don't get an MRI. And it's kind of like, well, well exactly when and how. And mm. so I think, yeah, being sort of helping people with that stuckness of sort of like, well, what do I do? I think is a big one. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, this comes from my bias as we'll learn about later, but being able to, you know, even shine a light on what people are doing well and how that's about them as a clinician as well or about them as a person. 
Um, and so really being able to kind of start to understand maybe what your strengths are as well so that you can always bring them into a an encounter or um, and be able to use them in order to kind of face the difficulties. Um, I think that's something, again, that might not get that much airtime in our, in our profession, but it's actually a really handy, well, useful resource for figuring out the grey. Mm. I'm thinking, like, part of what we want to do with this as well, what we're going to build into to future episodes is a, a, a part for us to reflect and sort of being yeah. open with people about our learning journey because, I mean, you talk to anyone who's, you know, at the top of the profession and, and I'm, I'm sure they would, they'll, they'll admit that they're all still learning as well. I mean, well, that's what the researchers are doing. Yeah. So, you know, show people that, that process. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, again, I think reflection is something that we might not feel like we have much time for if we think about our, our busy clinic lifestyles and, you know, just trying to get through the day and, and helping patients. I think it's something that is so valuable for our learning. So again, if we can kind of even provide a space where you can reflect along with us um, and it kind of becomes like a, a, a community of a way of, of thinking and learning um, to again kind of bring in more ways to then implement because we would have had some reflection on certain things. Hmm. I think the important thing to highlight, though, is we're going to be talking a lot about cases. Yeah. This is not going to be an abstract. I mean, the, this first podcast is obviously going to be a bit different because it's going to be talking about ourselves, why, uh, how we got to where, we, where we're going to be um, now, why we want to do this, why, why we think it's helpful, why maybe you should listen to us. Maybe some people might decide not to listen to us after hearing this one. But um, <laughs> we're going to talk about cases. We're going to, we're going to make it. What what is an implementation sort of focused podcast without a without a good case study? Yes, it is. <laughs> so we we should tell people more about ourselves, I think, and and how we got here. Do do you want to start start that off, Kit? Yes, I can. Um, so I'm a physio. I I studied in in WA. I'm from WA originally. Um, I worked over there. No. And I, just for the record, we say we don't call it a verge. I'm sorry. I just need to clear that up right now. Um, so um, I'm from WA. I studied, I worked over there for a couple of years in a hospital just to get a, a few, um, just a few years of feeling what it was like to be a health professional. Um, and then I moved to Melbourne because I really wanted to, like, I think I just wanted to experience a little bit more of a diverse community. Um, and I felt that Melbourne provided that for me in lots of different ways. Um, and I worked in a couple of private practices. So mainly, um, you know, with a musculoskeletal bias, um, uh, and a bio biomechanical bias. And then I did a chunk of my private practice work in, um, one practice, for 10 years and that was a really it was a great experience of musculoskeletal um, rehab um, we had sports stock there we worked with podiatrists um, we worked with lots of teams so had the footy um, lots of athletes but also the the lovely day-to-day -day, um, normal humans um, so I got a really nice mix of of um, you know classic outpatient um, private practice care. Um, and then I got to a point where I just started to question more and more the, the box that I felt that I was existing in with, with the approach um, I was taking with my patients. And I had a real, I always have had a real interest in the patient and the patient's story. So both their story and the storyteller. Um, I just have always found that quite fascinating. And I really noticed that there wasn't much room for them within session because we were so keen to, you know, fix what was going wrong or help them with their injury. And I also really noticed this, um, maybe there also wasn't space for exploring what was going well with them or what they were doing well. I really could start to feel this kind of deficit approach. And so I went and studied 
a um, went out of the physio world and studied a um, master's of applied positive psychology. Um, so basically a well-being master's. And this really changed and influenced both my worldview um, around what care looks like and what how well-being can kind of um, integrate into the pain care world. And then also one of its biggest things it did is that it, it, it was a different learning environment for me. So it was really different to undergraduate physio. Um, and that has really impacted and shaped the next direction that I've gone since doing the masters. Um, so I started my own practice um, mid masters and just started crafting um, my approach to what I think is, um, I suppose, a, hum a humanitarian and dignitarian approach to care. Um, and that's kind of become more of a focus for me more recently has been kind of reimagining what care looks like. And for me, the really important point is focusing on the relationship between the practitioner and the patient. Um, so I, I, I have a practice that um, is looks to humanise healthcare um, and I take an approach that is both reflective and relational. So this is where I sort of um, relational is, it becomes about the relationship and it's, it goes beyond communication skills. So it's about um, paying attention to the way that we actually interact with each other um, and dignifies the other. And it embodies values like um, inclusiveness and, and honesty, um, respect, compassion, humility, um, and cooperation. So, you know, we've all heard about patient-centered care, but this is really about relationship-centered care. And it speaks to the fact that we as practitioners actually really impact um, the patient's experience. Um, so that's a little bit about how I've arrived where I am today. And I'm more than happy to go back and forward and explain more about the journey of transformation um, because I did start as that young little musculoskeletal um, private practice physio. Um, but I think it's time we, we heard your voice, Alex. Tell us how you've, <laughs> you've been nicely patient and silent. Um, tell us a bit about you. I always, I always, I always smile. It's always nice to hear someone else's journey as well. And especially someone that spent a lot more time working in a, in a bio medical frame before they go out. I, I spent a long time. I spent like, well, I spent four years, which is not as long as before I started questioning. I went, wow, I really lost four years. I could have been expanding and. Mm. But... There's always that sense, isn't there? That Shit, I wasted time. <laughs> hmm. uh, don't, don't talk to me about wasted time. I wasted many hours this morning trying to adjust a, a dishwasher height. Um, which we won't explain more about, except there's a lot of knowledge that it does not include it in a new dishwasher manual, uh, that you figure out yourself. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I, I'm Alex, uh, as you know, but I, I'm a podiatrist. I, I studied in Melbourne originally. So did the, uh, the Bachelor of Health Science, Masters of Podiatric Practice uh, degree, which I think now they've changed again. Mm. So I, I, I did that. I graduated and the moment I finished, I was like, well, I'm out of here. I'm out of Melbourne. I want to get out of home. I want to get somewhere different. And I, I found a really, really nice job working in a really, you know, quite a, quite a good sports podiatry clinic in Canberra which I'm pretty sure I only got the job because no one else wanted it. <laughs> the story you I tell yourself. There was some selection criteria. Like there were people they said no to, but there was very much a like, well, look, um, no one wants to move here. And there is no course in Canberra. So mm -hmm. it was, it's one of the few states, I think other than NT that doesn't have a, doesn't have its own podiatry course. So learn something new. Yeah. And that was, and that was an amazing experience because I get, I got to work, you know, that was a, a very biomedical, biomechanical based clinic. 
it was a very good clinic. Lots of, we saw lots of patients and uh, got lots of experience working under under a very sort of senior senior clinician uh, and saw lots of patients get better. But especially towards the end of that sort of the first four years, I started to also notice when patients weren't getting better or patients that would get better and I had no idea why and, and vice versa, patients that didn't get better. And I'm sort of like, well, I've done everything. And specifically, I do remember what really started me questioning was I had a lot of patients come in and I would do well, I'd do my assessment, have my diagnosis, communicate, did everything and started the treatment. And then it wouldn't be until senior clinician came in and you know, I called it the gray hair effect that all of a sudden everything got better. <laughs> everything was new, everything. And there was just something there and he sort of went, well, hold on a second, this isn't right. Because if it is just literally you jump into a room and you sort of, you make the right diagnosis and you apply the treatment exactly like the textbook says, everything gets better. There's something else going on here. And I think that really sort of speaks as immediately as well to your sort of realization that it is about the therapeutic alliance. Mm. It is about that relationship and, and people were coming in and how I would sort of think about it now is people were coming in already with a relationship to that senior clinician because, you know, he did have worked at two Olympics by the end, three Olympics, two Commonwealth Games, mm. was a massive member of the community, had a lot of recommendations. So people already had this relationship of, you know, or, or level of trust based upon the societal image. Mm -hmm. So there was something else sort of driving that. And, you know, there's lots of things there. It's, you know, affects their behavior. It's not, not placebo. We can talk about that. It's not just placebo. It's about, you know, trust and behavior and it's about, um, you know, so many different parts of that relationship that affects so many different things because I think it's too easy to say, oh, it's placebo, um, which it's yeah. not. Um, but that sort of started me. I was very lucky um, in the sense that I was also in Canberra at, uh, interestingly, the the clinic that Lorimer Mosley originally worked at was also there. Lucky uh, ducky. Yeah, well, we, we, it was just one of those things where I was just talking to to these physios and going, you know, that just happened to be on this sort of, you know, case that was one of these cases. I was going, this, this kid's just not getting better and it's really odd. And they sort of just went, hey, you should probably check out this guy <laughs> on YouTube, <laughs> Laura Mosley. And um, for me, that was sort of where the transformation started. But it was a really tricky transformation. There was lots of confusion, lots of learning because I sort of jumped into it from a, you know, very pain science focus, which, you know, really initially was talking about replacing instead of expanding my tool set. Mm -hmm. And there was really no one in the, I mean, because, I mean, you know, you look at David Butler, you look at Laura Mosley, you look at most people, they were physios. And so there was really no podiatrist doing this and how does this work with biomechanics? And it kind of sort of sent me into a bit of a tailspin for yeah. a while. Um, I, I literally remember leaving the course um, I feel kind of bad because I, I, I had no idea who David Butler really was. There's all these people that turned up to this, this course in Canberra for explain pain. who were like, wow, David Butler. And mm -hmm. I'm here in the front, just like monopolizing his time being like, I don't get this. What am I supposed to do on Monday, mate? Like, <laughs> how do I implement this, David? Yeah. And, and all these people are trying to get time and he was very patient with me and, and, um, Obviously, things were not solved at that point, but um, I was very lucky and he, you know, we sent some emails backwards and forwards. He sort of gave me a bit of advice and then sort of from there, it just, I started my own blog, which you will mm -hmm. never find any of that writing now. Oh. Um, making I'm sense of podiatry was the, was the thing because I was trying to make sense of what was going on. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was that sort of process of then figuring out you know, what was going on, what, what, how my tool set, how my skill set, how I was going to be treating patients. Cause there was still so many patients that got better, but there were so many patients that didn't. And it was the way sort of I encapsulate my sort of journey was really figuring out what we did right and how that works, but figuring out then using that also to help figure out why patients don't get better. 
sort of trying mm-hmm. to contextualize what what we're doing. So I went and did my SNC coaching accreditation. So I am a, a, a uh, now an accredited strength and conditioning coach. So mm-hmm. in addition to my clinic, I, I, I do work with uh, a rugby union club in Canberra. I ended up uh, becoming a communication education partner for Course Health. Lovely. So Course Health is a, a research group based out of Norway that focuses on how we can treat the individual patient, which sort of fit really neatly with what I was and sort of solidified what I was learning about how to essentially contextualize everything. So why, like an orthotic in one case will just be brilliant and in another it wouldn't be. Mm. Uh, I started working in, you know, in a rehab-focused clinic. So I, I now work, thankfully, in a clinic with, a, you know, a full gym and a full orthotic lab and a full surgery room. So we kind of kind of do everything. And sort of having the ability to be like, I can now pick what I think people need or I can they can need everything. They might need one tiny thing. Mm. And I think where I am now is is – I, I've started a, a new, I've moved on from making sense in podiatry and now I've, I've had someone tell me you've sort of made sense of what you're doing. So now I'm <laughs> really started this new identity, the rehab podiatrist, and, and now I'm focusing on how I can help people with that kind of journey and make sense and sort of fill the gaps that, that mm. I sort of fell right into head first. Um again why you will not find much of that writing um because and now i do yeah mentorship i i, I do education courses workshops uh, and i do you know a lot of posting on on social media about the things that that come up hmm. but i think that comes back to again if we circle back to what we're hoping to you know bring to this to this discussion in our chats is you know, a, a way to help explore our journey and our transformation so that people can both feel supported but can maybe even learn from our mistakes or just mm. understand that it is a transformation or it is a journey. Like some people might not even be aware that that's what's happening uh, and that it can take a certain amount of time or what what's required to go into it. I think there's so much value in being able to share um, both like we talked about um, the good parts and maybe the difficult parts um, for normalising but also to understand that that's okay um, and that's normal and we don't have it all figured out and, mm. yeah, like it, it really kind of create that that communitarian approach where we are. We are all in this together. You're not on your own. There's, there's a great – there's someone on TikTok and, again, I shouldn't be promoting people that have – such a good already a big established following and uh, but there's a there's a tiktok um tiktoker oh, Ooh, I think okay someone who TikTok-y. on tiktok posts at least at least myers um at least i hope that's her name but she she made a point exactly um she talks a lot about her struggles with mental health and anxiety and and um just a really sort of beautiful expression of of what it is to be human and she has this quote where she just goes, you know, do it scared was her approach. And it was really highlighting. It was like, well, you don't have to have everything together. You know, if anything, she, her anxiety created a lot of fear. And, she, you know, it was just a case of to wait till you are prepared completely. Mm. Is, is just completely inappropriate. Instead, you just do it scared. And I think when we think about how that relates to us, and it's not always saying we should be in, should have a lot of fear or we should be really anxious about seeing patients and, and we should just do it scared. But it's sort of on that, on that one sort of level down or two levels down where it's not about being completely and a hundred percent prepared. It's about just having systems, procedures, frameworks in a, in a, in a way that can help us work mm. in an environment that is incredibly uncertain, that we can still be confident and competent but with knowing where the uncertainty lives. And I guess that's all the sort of things we want to talk about is how we can navigate or how that mess, how we navigate that mess and we can do it, um, you know, feel quite comfortable in that space uh, now after many years of being uncomfortable or at least that was my experience. I'm, I won't speak for you, but... Um, I'm always uncomfortable. <laughs> But in a good way, in a, uh, yeah, well, that reminds me of, um, you know, courage is fear walking. 
similar sort of quote. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that speaks to what again what we're trying to do here, and it makes me think about again when we first started talking about putting this together as a thing, and I had a pretty visceral response to not want to do it because it was too scary. And, um, you know, I don't want that sort of visibility and, you know, potentially no one will listen and it'll be okay, but <laughs> <laughs> that's not what Alex wants. Alex wants you to listen and follow. Um, but, but I think that uh, that's something that I've, you know, I've only known you for a, a shortish amount of time, but I can pretty happily say there's been so many occasions so far in our process to arrive at this point of where you have created um, just a trust in our um, conversations around this because you've been willing to be really patient and both understand where I'm coming from and create a space, non-judgmental space where we can talk about that and also really speak to the potentials that could come out of, you know, um, experiencing this and, and walking towards it. Um, and they're things that I think are just so valuable as humans, but also as health practitioners, where we can intentionally create an environment where we can listen and we can listen deeply and we can bring our curiosity and not our judgment. And then we can step into helping cultivate a plan towards something. So rather than away from something or avoiding something, and this then becomes so important when we treat things like pain and injury, because we want to have approach motivation. We want to be able to keep doing things that we can do. We want to be able to find ways where we can move and we can um, have a meaningful life and we, we can move towards, um, you know, individual management. Um, so I think, you know, from a, from a qualities point of view or what I really admire and, and, and like about you so far, Alex, um, is this ability to, um, to hold that space and really kind of understand pretty quickly where I was coming from, but then also be able to hold a bigger picture, bigger picture and the context and be able to walk with me in that way that didn't feel like you were, there was no pressure. It was about me deciding I had choice. Um, so that's, um, I think that's been really, really important for where we've arrived at today. And I guess it does. I don't want this just to become a, a compliment fest back and forth. Well, thank you very much. That's it's very nice. And now here's a compliment for you. I, know. I need. I need some. It's my turn. Fill well, up do my do back. do do people want to listen to that? No. Um, <laughs> no I, I think there's a reason. I pulled it back to qualities of a healthcare practitioner. <laughs> I did really I well there. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a really interesting point there. Like the the number one question that I get um, at uh, education and courses and when I teach things and I sort of go, well, here's, here's the approach of how, you know, here's the exercise, here's the, the, the orthotic, here's the, the shoe, you know, information. And people sort of go, well, you know, how do you get people to do it? Like, I don't get people to do anything. Mm. I help, I create an environment where we sort of show them the way. And it sounds, I guess it sounds a bit airy fairy because I mean, we're taught, you know, you are the person with the smarts, you are the person that, that does the thing, but, and so people listen to you and follow your advice, but very much like what we learn from evidence is that we don't know exactly why things work. We don't know exactly what uh, is going on in that person's life. We can't find it out really, honestly, in, in, in a period, in, in the short period of time we're going to have with someone but what we do have is we do have someone who knows all of that, who sits there on the other side of the table, there's experiences that, that has to do it. And we can sort of find a way that we can work with them that doesn't really exactly, you know, the, it's been really nice to hear, you know, what you're sort of talking about, you know, with my approach, because that's exactly how I'm trying to approach my patients, where it's, it's not about being judgmental. Oh, you didn't do your exercises. Well, you know, how how can we create an environment that makes it easy for you? Is there something with the exercises that is not working? Is hmm. there, you know, do you find the exercises useful? Is this treatment approach, you know, we know exercise is not the only thing that can help someone. It doesn't need to be done always. Um, there's a lot of context around that. So we can work with people that that can build that intrinsic motivation is, is, is one way to put it. Um, but it's sort of creating, yeah, I think about creating an environment where people kind of want to do things because you've provided them that, that focus on 
how we're going to help, you know, you have a more meaningful life rather than a, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that approach, which is, you know, you've torn this, you now can't do this rather, you know, it's sort of more of a case of, well, this is, this is not good. This is not a great place to be, but how can we figure out a way that you can still do things that you, that you enjoy, even if they are limited? Yeah, you very much become, you know, an anchor as in like ground them and be able to then walk with them. Yeah. I think, I think so much of what you're, of your saying, of what you're saying speaks to that collaboration and that, um, that relationship again. Um, and I think even just the examples you're giving at the moment, which I know uh, we can go into further in, in, in future podcasts, but even, you know, that space of like going, it's okay that you didn't do your exercises. There's lots of other ways that we can approach that. I think I didn't know that for a very long time in practice. I just thought that you just had to give exercises and that's what your job was so that there wasn't another avenue, you know. So even when that moment, I remember when I, I realised that, and how my whole world opened up and like with a sense of permission as well. Um, and how powerful that can be in a, in a, in a clinician's, um, for want of a better word, journey. But, you know, their, their growth is like going, oh, Alex just said that. All right. What are the other things he's talking about? You know, hmm. something so simple like that can, can impact someone and, and touch in on their experience, which can create that next bit of growth or, or curiosity because that's what we want to develop we want to develop curiosity i mm. think that that sort of leads sort of really nicely into uh, my now compliment for you um yes i was wondering when it was coming waiting. Like, what's going on here i'm trying to create a loop here i'm trying to create a loop here loop back it's not so much yeah um i think I the appreciate biggest... your loop alex thank you uh one of the things that i think is really sort of I've found, you know, having these conversations and, and, and working working with your kid is that I'm very much a doer. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already we've made jokes about that a lot. Mm-hmm. We had this idea of a podcast, and I had already put together uh, a concept. I already knew which um, which sort of website we could use for inspiration. Um, mm-hmm looked into the social media tools that would help post us, you know, all that sort of stuff. I was already there. You had my growth mapped out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this is kind of, this is exactly like when we talk about anchors, having this anchor of someone who's, who's sitting there and going, hold on a second. Maybe we just need to have a bit of space. Maybe we need to breathe. Maybe we need to focus on what's happening in, you know, internally and, and thinking about all those sort of, emotions and experiences that we're having that we might not be thinking about. We might not be considering where, you know, so I'm, I'm here trying to, to sort of get everything going as quickly as I can. Cause it's always just that focus of what I've been always brought up with is just grow, 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 you know, focus on, you know, achieving the most you can in the, in the shortest period of time. You know, we can talk to my parents and I was just I'd like, I was optimizing things from the get go. And, you know, if I'm in a line somewhere, like if I'm actually in a, in a line somewhere, whether it be the airport or whether it be like a small fate, I'd be like, that's inefficient. That could be working better. Why is that person doing like, like seriously, like, and I'm almost like about to like, just start taking over, um, which I actually lost a job for when I was like 18, apparently. No, it was a 17, right? I was at 17 and I was sitting at a, at a, and I did that exactly at a store. I was sitting at a cash register at a pharmacy of all places. And I was like, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's dumb. You're going to do this now. You're going to do that now. And we're going to get rid of this crowd. And they were sort of like, yeah, we can't have that. Can't have this like <laughs> That's not in your position description. <laughs> uh, well, look, it was, it was an, it was an odd job for me to have because I very much brought a very like dominant male energy to a, to a space that was just, mm. so what it speaks too is that, and I think this is the trap, not not that uh, I think I fell for it hook, line, and sinker because I was so predisposed to it, but is this idea of doing mm-hmm. with our patients and this idea of fixing things and, and, and doing something with them and giving them heaps of value when, you know, I, I think about what happens now in, in my practice, what are the key things that I think people take away 
and sometimes the, you know, the key, you know, when I asked them, you know, so what are the key things that, you know, really meant a lot to you in this session? It was like, just not, not just knowing that it wasn't going to be really bad. Just mm. knowing that, that there was, we can get this better and that I can work with you to get this better. Not like yeah. the, you know, six exercises I perfectly programmed for them uh, in a periodized, structured way. For our listeners, um, Alex is doing a neck wobble. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> now you're going to keep taking me off track. Uh, but I know this appreciation is supposed to be about me. <laughs> <laughs> so... In sort of having that anchoring of being able to come back and going, you know, what is we always needed at a, at a period of time? And I think that's something that you bring where you're sort of like, hold on a second, calm down, focus. What's happening in this space right now? What exactly do we need? And, you know, for, for a case example, lots of patients come in with a new injury or one that's been around for a long time that they've seen like five other people for Bob, their uncle has told them, oh, I had that or I had a friend who had that and had his foot amputated um, or something, mm. you know, ridiculous. And what is most meaningful for them is someone who listens to those concerns, has a plan. We're not ignoring it. And if something no. is bad, we treat it. You yeah. Know, we still use all that knowledge, but it's sometimes being like, okay, this is bad and I'm going to support you through this. Or, you know what, this actually isn't as bad as you think and, you know, we can do a bit more. Uh, then you think, you know, you don't have to give up all your activity, What? Ha- but we might just have to do these modifications. Mm. So I, I like that groundedness and I think that's that's already from our conversations help just simply just focus on even if it's just as simple as taking that breath. So mm. we've got a really nice, I think, yin-yang. Ooh, yay. Um, I think what I think it is, I think, You've spoken to it already and it'll come out when we look at cases. I think that's when it'll be really interesting. Um, but this doing energy that we, we've been taught and, and modelled and it's, we've been encultured and it's part of our profession's identity, like it's, it's the thing, right? Um, and, it's so, and it's so powerful because we can help people. But I think, yeah, that, that my bias around that we have not been taught many skills around the being or the slowing down, or um, how important that can be to be able to then do the doing and how if you don't have that presence and that ability to drop in with the patient or, and by drop in I mean be with them, where meet them where they are um, and that willingness to do that um, to then build from that moment. If we don't have that, we're potentially going to you know, steamroll them or just talk at them, which we can talk about all the moments where we've done that, Alex, where we've mm. pain science oh. people and barreled down their faces with cognitive information. And, you know, um, I think that's part of the learning journey to arrive at, at where the relationship is really important is that we have to kind of go through these these moments. But can we help people be aware of these moments, maybe um, put them on the radar get them thinking about them a little bit earlier than, than we did so that we can help. Hmm. Oh, yeah, and I can think yeah. of a time, I think it was last week, where I was like, you, you, do, you oh, got to that so point true. where I was like, oh, yeah, I am starting on that process. Just going to wind it back. Mm. <laughs> Whereas, you know, that would have been, you know, you would have waited, you know, a couple of years ago, that would have been the end of the consult where I went, wow, I spoke that entire time. <laughs> I don't even know what my patient was thinking. Or where you get to the end of a consult and say, do you have any questions? Because that's a really important thing. And then the question they ask is actually the question that you needed to ask, answer first at the very beginning of the consult. And you actually then have to potentially run over. Well, you probably do because you have to meet their need. But that like, you know, moment where my my I can't speak because my tummy is in knots and I've realised that, oh, my gosh, I needed to ask you what's your biggest concern 30 mm. minutes ago rather than at the end. Once I've dealt with what I think was the biggest concern, you know. Well, and that's that's one of, like, the most interesting things when I find, you know, what I that I've been, you know, learnt about or one of the a big revelation when we think about, 
you know, the biopsychosocial model, which it's taken a very long time for, for that to come up. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when we're talking about the psychological component, so much of it is, is not dealing with patient psychology. It's often dealing with our own psychology. Yeah. Like if we're sitting in a room and we're in a million miles ahead of the patient thinking about, you know, lunch, what are we going to do? How are we going to fit this in? Oh, my God, I've got Bob coming on later. And if this runs over, oh, Bob's definitely going to run over. Uh, and we're not listening and we're not getting all that information and we're not being there. Like I think about, you know, that as being a massive transformation because that's what helps so much. That's mm-hmm. what really psych-informed practitioner, in my mind, really is, is being able to go, I can take all this sort of stuff and put it to the side and focus, have my ability or have a, a process that I can follow that helps me focus solely on the patient, solely on that relationship, not getting lost in my own thoughts, not getting lost in my own priorities. And I think a lot of people think about psych-informed practice the other way where it's like, oh, we've got to deal with anxiety, we've got to deal with depression. And it's kind of like, well, the irony is, is that they're anxious and depressed because they're in pain. <laughs> And you're not you're not gonna you know send them to a psychologist and and all of a sudden that's going to be fixed. It's ironically it's it's working with that depression, working with that alongside that, and helping them. And when you really listen, without all of those judgments and things, um, you you find those opportunities a lot more. And I always think of like that. There's one patient I had recently that was just a million miles an hour just came in, and I've heard you know, people complain, they say they just won't stop running or they won't just stop doing stuff. It's kind of funny because I think of how many times when I hear the practitioners talk about that, they go, but did you create a space where they could be calm? Slow down. Maybe mention this to them um, because all that you, you know, you, when you, you raced around this, the patient was zooming around the appointment, so you zoomed around after them <laughs> trying to get them to yeah. stop running or tell them to stop doing something or and it was like, oh, you know, not that that's bad. I think it's, it's really good advice if someone's, you know, doing a crazy amount of activity and it is really sore. Maybe not doing the sore things. But how that made sense to that person was 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 like the most important part because it's not going to make sense to them because they've, they've been a million miles an hour for their entire life and it made sense to them. It's helped them. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that I probably prioritise right now when I see someone is I kind of know that my one of my aims is to slow them down not necessarily like if they're really really slow in terms of their communication and things but is to kind of notice I suppose the speed or notice the energy in the room and then how I'm going to contribute to it how I'm going to um, uh, like being really intentional about how I show up within it knowing that I can influence them and they can influence me. Um, but I think that's potentially a whole other podcast right mm. there. Well, it's sort of like, yeah, when you sort of, like if you've had those conversations like at a dinner party where it's like everyone's like feeding off each other's energy and it all gets like this this story. Apparently um, myself and my wife are very good uh, at doing this. Um, we've been told is sort of just like feeding off each other's like energy in sort of like a bickering way. And it sort of builds up this sort of fantastic story um, at a dinner party um, with maybe a bit too much wine. Um, But the same thing I think can happen in a console. You sort of, yeah, you feed off that energy and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that was a really intense Mm. like consult. Like you come out of it a little bit sweaty and you're like, well, what happened there? Well, yeah, you've been dragged in. You're in it rather than having that ability to kind of uh, dip in and dip out or, or, you know, witness what's going on. We're kind of fully engaged, fully in it. Um, mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a quote. I'm not sure if it was stole, like if he stole this, but um, uh, one of the guys that I, I teach workshops with, he sort of, we were writing out this rehab workshop and, you know, he pointed out, you know, rehab is really about, you know, guiding someone from A to B and there's a lot of points in there you know you are the guide you're not leading the journey you're helping someone along there decide you know they come you know point A they decide where point B is Um, but it really sort of highlighted you know the second thing that came along from that was leadership Mm. it was like you really are sort of a leader 
which we sort of think about manager and you're sort of controlling, but, you know, a leader is often that person off to that side who's creating that space, that environment, just making important decisions that will get the best out of that person. And I know that sort of just stuck out to, to me when we think about that environment, that creating whether we, you know, if we're in a leadership position, whether we're sort of getting swept up in someone's energy and, you know, letting them sort of, you know, not ex- you know, not that we're always taking charge, but you're sort of letting someone sweep you along when you're sort of like, well, hold on a second, I'm supposed to be the person that's kind of very intentional stepping, you know, being outside of this and, mm. ma- and helping make those reasoned decisions. Yeah, and I think what pops into my brain when you talk about leadership is leadership of the of the relationship but also self-leadership within the relationship and again I think that speaks to that 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 both that meeting the patient where they are and intentionally understanding that and then meeting ourselves where we are and holding both those things in the same space and I think that is what has not really been um, you know valued in healthcare is around the practitioner and this and their development um, and I think that might, you know, it might be quite foreign to some people who who do decide to listen to us up to this point. But, you know, it's always been mostly focused on the patient. And even, you know, patient-centred care as a response to traditional care is, is again, well, let's focus on the patient. Um, but I think that next step along is that relationship-centred care. Um, so, you know, I think it'd be normal for people to kind of go, what are they going on about? And, and that's scary mm. and... What and I don't want. I'm having these inner reactions, which is turn off, and I don't want to know, and I'm not curious. And I think that's really normal because it hasn't been modelled to us. It's not been prioritised as part of our undergrad. It's not really prioritised as part of our um, you know, postgrad courses. It's still more about you know how to deliver pain science information. It might be more around communication, or then it's about techniques. So I think. You know, I think this discussion, we can keep keeping it gentle and dip in and dip out, but I think we really need to acknowledge that it's not something that's been actually valued by our um, profession or our industry. Um, so it might it might be a little bit um, jarring or, or anxiety-inducing for some people to hear us talk about it. Yeah, and I think that's it sort of speaks to the transformation. It speaks to the journey. Like, we definitely didn't get here overnight and I think that sort of is the important point is that we're often doing a lot of this already like when we're having our patients I always think about when I had like really good consults I have really good patients they're people that like just turn up and they're just ready and you know so much of that has to do when I when I look at those patients they're people you know that have a lot of potentially similarities to me or that I have you know really good relationships with off the bat because, you know, when I think about it, one of them recently was, um, you know, an, a friend's dad just came in and was like, you know, he, not only was a trust already there, but there was, he was ready for change. And he was like, look, I've lived with this for three months. And, and, you know, he saw my S&C qualifications and he was on board and we had a great relationship, um, you know, in, you know, he was like, I like playing sports. I don't like watching it. And I was like, mate, same. Um so you know we had this yeah the relationship was already there and I think about how many times when people talk about oh I just I love this patient they're really good I wonder how much of it is just going well hold on you know there's actually really good stuff going on there and there's things that we that you might not be aware of that we're doing or aware of that's already there and how can we intentionally create that space and I think to, to have more of those good patients so I think the sort of the plug I would have for it is you know, if people going, oh, this is maybe a bit tricky. It's very new. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I think about with my journey is that, you know, we're not taught so many of the skills that, you know, are really helpful, that there's mm. so many things that can impact a patient, but we can focus on this one. And the selling point would be that, you know, we can all of a sudden have a lot more good patients than quote unquote bad patients or quote unquote difficult patients. Because when we understand this relationship approach and sort of focus on what they need, all of a sudden we're not in conflict with them anymore where we're sort of working with them. And I mm. think that's a, that's been something that's just made my practice much more fun and much better. And 
sometimes it's still hard, but like when you when you finally crack someone and you develop a relationship and they they and they're sort of like yeah and you you know what they need and you know how you know to best sort of position yourself with them and in, in your conversation, oh, I turn some real yeah hard hard nuts to crack into to really nice patience to see and that's been happening a lot and I've I've been very much enjoying practice a lot more because of it. Yeah. And I think that that point of of going from adversarial with a patient to on the same to an ally, like does again doesn't happen overnight. And again, in a in a relationship sense with that patient could take months, years. You know, who knows what that looks like? It can look different. But I I don't want people thinking that it's like a, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a real development of an approach. And and especially if you know, I work a lot in um, persistent pain. Um, and chronic pain and um, more longer problems are not so much in the acute setting. Um, and so this approach is is essential because we have to work together. We have to understand each other and see each other as, as humans who are trying to work towards a, a shared goal or purpose and that we need to do it together. We can't actually do it um, kind of knocking up against each other. That's only going to make it harder for both of us. Um, and so I think that was one of my, a really big shift for me. Um, and it was uncomfortable while I was doing it. Um, but again, when you get to that side where you feel confident that you are creating an allyship, I think, like you said, Alex, that's like one of the biggest resources as a clinician is going into a consult, consult, knowing that, um, and that's been one of the biggest things to create sort of, um, competence for me in, in facing trickiness still. Um, but that's been one of the biggest knowings. So my dad comes out with these random facts. He listens to some very weird podcasts. I don't know. He seems to just be on a different podcast network. He just has access to things that I just, I never know exist. Will he he be listening to us? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but he came out with this weird, Weird fact. I, I don't know why. I think he wanted to tell me because he was. He thought I might have been sued. But it, it, ter- it turns out, you know, patients that like their doctors are less likely to sue them was kind of this fact. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I see, and I guess that's like, that's kind of that, that bit of, you know, developing the relationship. Not I think anyone's going to get sued and not this is specific medical legal advice, which it is not. But like if you think about, trying to figure out how, how something, how you're going to work with this person or trying to figure out this really difficult um, condition. Like I, I issued an orthotic, this was only a couple of weeks ago and I sort of went through with a patient. I sort of went, you know, this is what I think is going on. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is what's worked in the past. But hey, we don't know. We're going to figure this out. And I gave her an orthotic and it just didn't work. She's never found it comfortable and we're finding all these solutions. And at the end of it, she was, you know, she was like, no, but you were working hard. You were helping me. You know, we, we both agreed on this. Um, Mm. This was the best, the best avenue. And now we know it's not. And, you know, just because I'd spent that time developing that relationship, you know, there was all of a sudden what was going to be a very negative outcome um, mm. was actually kind of like, well, you know, I'm glad we went down this pathway and, you know, we're still working together. Yeah. But, um, you know, that didn't work. Oh, what do we do next? Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're speaking to, what we're both speaking to is that, <clears throat> that very real um, responsibility that is, on us health professionals, whether we place it on it or our, our culture of, of, of helping people. But if we don't make them better, that we're failures and we attach our identity to outcome um, and an outcome as in no pain or, you know, completely fixed or, you know, fully functional, you know, and I think that's, it's a really interesting, again, it could be another whole podcast in itself, but that, that, um, that sense of we attach our esteem or, or um, competence to outcome, not to journey or not to, you know, the progression or how we worked through something, um, which again, you know, is, is food for thought. Yes, Alex. Well, I think a good final point 
to sort of to, a final point to end on, and it's a question for you, is just mm. working with someone and alongside someone. Does that mean you're constantly just giving in to their demands? Are you pushing Ooh. back? No, I. Well, that's a very this or this. <laughs> Want to know? Expand? No, no, no. Like, change the question. Change the question if you need to. I, I'm trying to keep things brief. Yeah, I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I think what comes up right now, and I would have another answer another day, is I think when you build that relationship where you have trust and respect and honesty and you can listen to the other, then you both, there's room for both opinions. So you hear their opinion and you can meet them there and understand and validate and that makes sense. And then you can be able to say, would it be okay if I shared mine? And I think creating that space where both are okay and both are experiences and from that moment of having that where it's not adversarial, it's more we've got two opinions in the room and we can be comfortable with that. Something emerges from that moment. Mm. So I would say, no, I don't give in to all of their demands, but no, I'm not telling them what to do. But in the ability to be respectful and honest, that allows fertile ground and conditions for something else to emerge that potentially these people also have never had from a health professional. Mm. Choice, information, things to process. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than someone saying, no, it's sort of like, well, here's the situation from my perspective. What do you think? Yeah. And I, and this is what, how, why I understand yours. This makes sense to me how you've arrived there. Or, and it might not even make sense, but like I can understand. You might not agree with them, but you can follow their reasoning. Hmm. It's creating an environment where, because I 100% agree, it's creating an environment where we can have that disagreement and yeah. it be respectful and you find a solution rather than being like, oh, I think I've worked with so many runners. Don't run. Worst advice. No one's going to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> But you can reach a point where you're like, maybe, can you see how from my perspective, continuing to continuing to run every single day is potentially not the best, you know, if you're thinking about your long-term career? Well, and I know we're rounding up, so I'm going to tell a little story because that's exactly what you were looking for. But, you know, I was a, um, I was a physio student who was, um, you know, going through my own mental health stuff and I used to run every day. And it was not healthy and I used to get overuse injuries all the time, but it was my way of of coping through my challenges. And I avoided like the plague of any sort of health professional because I knew that they were going to say to me, don't run, without going, okay, why are you running? Why is this meaningful to you? Why is this so important for you to do this every day and actually gain an understanding, not judge that I was running every day, but going, why is this important to you? There's something about this that really matters to you. Um, And it wasn't until I went to psych that I figured that out rather Mm. than a physio. So, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying we all need to be psychs, but again, when you were saying, what would you say to a runner? And can you see my point of view? My question would be, you know, explain to me that, can you help me understand why this is so important to you? Or what's the meaning Mm. behind this? Like that would be my approach in wouldn't be yes, no, it would be what's underneath this. And so much of solving a problem is just noticing what the problem is. Yes. Like my dishwasher. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work and we don't know why. We've got to figure that bit out first. Maybe you need to ask the dishwasher what its meaning is in life. Mm. It's, uh, well, that's actually particularly difficult because my first thing with the dishwasher I accidentally did was put it in Swedish. Um <laughs> I had to unplug it and plug it back in again because it was like everything is in Swedish. And I was like, no, no, I can't can't deal with this. I can't. You have a Swedish dishwasher. Please tell me you're going to name it. Uh, Look, I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm not even sure if it's going to stay, to be honest. Although, no, it is. It is going to stay. But at the moment, it it is on thin ice. Okay. That's what it's called, on thin ice. Hello, on thin ice. Nice to meet you. Oh. Well, I think that's a that's a nice that's a nice time to 
to wrap up our first chat, I think people have got a good idea of who we are, what Hope we're going to so. be doing. Hmm. Also, yeah, thanks everyone for, for, for those who have made it this far. Thank you for, for listening. Next time we are going to be going to, we're figuring out what is going to be the best format of, for, for what we're going to do. So we're going to be finding a topic or a case uh, to start some of our discussions. We're going to talk more about our transformation. We're going to reflect a little bit as well about what um, what's come up for us in this chat uh, and mm. what we've sort of learned and, and taken away from it because I think there's some there's some points already that I'm thinking about that I've I've taken about just hearing um, from, from Kit and I'm sure Kit's the same back, I hope so. Sure am. Dishwasher. But yeah, very much looking looking forward to that. Uh, if I would highly encourage you to follow us on social media. Like Kit said, we need friends. Uh, so it's Real Clinicians, Real Chats. We're on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we are not yet on TikTok because we haven't decided who's going to be doing the TikToks or how do we do TikToks via distance. And before we go, we should also say thank you to Carly Loops for providing our theme music as well. And if you want to contact us, you can contact us on our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, or you can email us, realclinicianswithchats at gmail.com. Thank you. Bye-bye.